Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice, committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Uh, good morning. Yeah, good morning from Jacob here. And from Zane, you're listening to Green Left Radio. Uh, Green Left Radio. Green Left Weekly Radio. Green Left <laughs> Weekly Radio. And it's Friday morning breakfast on 3CR, by far Melbourne's most radical radio station. Yeah. So, um, in upcoming in sort of um, the latest news, everyone's probably heard um, about you know the federal budget that was handed down on um, Tuesday. Um, you know, before I kind of like report on some of the new Google, I would like to ask you know Zane, what is your personal opinion on the budget? Uh, gross. Uh, where to begin? Um, Undermining the wage system and the minimum wage with work for the dole, uh, tax cuts for millionaires and billionaires, and tens of billions of dollars for military hardware, yep. <laughs> and no money for renewables, cuts to health and education. What a... What a train wreck! Yeah, well, it's um going quoting this um sort of the la- some of the latest Green um Left Weekly articles on it. You know, um, it was apparently yeah the 2016 to 2016 budget was sort of um to get the federal coalition coalition over the line on July 2nd, the expected double coalition day. But, you know, Treasurer's you know Scott Morrison's budget speak with a far cry from the last two gloom and doom budgets from Joe Hockey, but it still contains you know significant cuts to essential services, health and education, and of course, as you mentioned, Zane, climate change didn't mention. You know, here are some like you know summaries from like you know organisations who have analysed the budget. You know, these represent workers and some of the poorest sections of the um, society. The Australian Council of the Trade Unions, um, you know. Um, said that, you know, the, in terms of Medicare, they have not reversed the cuts to Medicare, meaning we'll have to pay more to see a doctor and for vital tests like x-rays, blood tests, uh, ultrasounds and pap smears. Five on hospitals, $554.1 billion has been cut from our hospitals. You know, this will lead to, obviously, longer waiting times, fewer breads and fewer beds, not breads, um, and less doctors and nurses. Mm. In terms of, you know, education, they have... They've broken out the election promise to provide the extra Gonski funding our schools need to ensure every child has a great education. Uh, they have effectively cut $54 billion from our schools. In terms of tax, um, I'm going to big corporations have been given huge tax cuts. Already 580 major companies pay no tax at all. All Scott Morrison did was close a few small loopholes, leaving the wired rests open. Mm. However, they have, um, this is not in this article, but they have actually... In the budget, it actually does mention that they are going to create 800 jobs to create some, like, you know, a monitoring kind of thing to address the issue, you know, of offshore, you know, tax evasion, as you can kind of, you probably, we've probably heard about in the Panama Papers, too, because there was all so much controversy. The government is obviously responding to that, but it's clearly not a sort of 
radical kind of reform because it's they're still increasing the corporate tax rate by which will be around 25% by 2027. That's complete insanity. Yeah. Well, oh, yes, here it is. Corporate t- From the Aberdeen Poverty Network, the corporate tax rate is yeah, going to be lowered from 30% to 25%. Small businesses, in the Aberdeen Poverty Network's analysis is that um, there will be income tax cuts for, like, the top 25% of income earners. Little really meaningful action on corporate tax avoidance. Um, not, there's none on negative gearing or fossil fuel subsidies and only mere... Minor reforms to superannuation tax concessions exploited by high income. This is a terrifying one. Um, 30,000 people on the disability pension will undergo a payment review, pretty similar to what's happening in the UK. Uh, in higher education, $2 billion to be cut from the education budget and deregulation of the higher education to be phased in over a longer period of time. And, you know, slave wages for young employed people to work for a private sector for 25 hours per week for up to 12 weeks at $4.00 per an hour and some 1,100 community sector jobs to be cut and government to to maintain restrictions on access to family tax payment benefits. Now, uh, I actually wrote this article in the Green Left. We're going to win next week's article, so I'm going to talk about this. Uh, um, in terms of, like, the tax on youth, um, there is that job intern sort of project that will basically... To elaborate on... Internship in inverted commas. Yeah, internship in inverted commas. Basically, the government is kind of like moving away from work for the doll, which after six months, recipients on New Start usually have to undertake kind of like mm. go into sort of mandatory kind of... Patronising. Patronising, you know, it's... Getting bossed around getting by someone. slave, kind of basically slave labour to keep, mm. and they're required to do, use work for the doll, to uh, undertake work for the doll to keep um, their New South payments, because if they refuse, um, yeah. they're, they're not, they're they paying, get cut off, off their payment. Um, but now the government has a revolutionary new scheme um, to move away from work for the doll. They have these internships that basically, how they work is that, um, more than 30,000 young people will probably be eligible for this program. So apparently it's it's not forced, it's voluntary. Which yeah, you, you can choose not to. You'll just get your payment cut off. Yeah, uh, well, you'd, it's more that the choice is, um, to be more accurate, it, the choice is more that if you don't undertake it, it means you just get to go on to work for the doll anyway. <laughs> yeah. Because well, work for the doll in this internship um, thing is separate. One of the things that I've just read in the last um, little while, I think it might have been an ACTU media release, is saying that because these job network providers have been given the power to penalise people and cut their payments, if your job network provider recommends, in inverted commas, that you go into one of these internships... Yep. And you say, um, nah, not heaps keen on providing below award wage slave labour for coals. They can cut you off for, uh, you know, not, not being, for being belligerent, basically. Oh, yeah. Oh, they weren't cooperating. They're not, yep. they're not serious about getting a, a job. If they were, they would do this. Yep. You know. Well, yeah, well, obviously, how the, how the program works to go in more detail, it's, Basically, the um, you, the people who um, young people who undertake this program will have to do like two to four weeks of sort of training, and then they go and doing then they end up doing um, um, it leads to a placement to six to twelve week internship with a local business, and while they do this, they receive two hundred dollars on top of their 
already low um, new start uh, allowance. Mm. But the companies, uh, what makes this very um, sketchy is that the companies um, receive a thousand dollars upfront for employing someone yeah. at this internship. They get free labour during the internship plus this thousand dollar incentive payment. Yeah, if te- they will get ten thousand dollars subsidy if they employ them the, after the internship is over. I think there's some analysis that's been saying, "Oh, this is actually a good thing. It's going to get more young people job ready," which I think it's. It's very problematic because, you know, young people, you know, we need, as I wrote in this article, they need jobs. We need jobs that are paid with proper wages, are secure, and good, have good working conditions as opposed to, you know, being forced to be trialled in low-paid internships, you know. Hmm. Where we're basically, you know, the government is basically spending millions of dollars forcing young job seekers to be exploited by employers in low-paid internships. And, you know, the government could instead be investing in a proper jobs program that gives young people, you know, real opportunities and potential hmm. for growth. Absolutely. Um, I guess as a consequence of this um, scheme, uh, more than $500 million has been cut from the work from the Dole screen. Um, and job seekers will, instead of the usual six months, you have to be on New Start for over 12 months to be to be forced to undertake work for the dole. Uh, in terms of other welfare changes, the government is actually also scrapping the carbon tax compensation scheme for new welfare schemes, which means young people who are on New Start or New Finance um, are going to lose up to $14.10 a fortnight. And so obviously the carbon tax is gone. Yep. But this compensation for the carbon tax has been pretty much the only increase in the dole in like 20 years from what I understand so hmm, it's uh, it's it's a very small increase yeah. and they've they've reversed this small token well to conclude um, just this um, item on the budget um, you know I think the budget really does little to kind of address the needs of sort of peop- um, young people, you know, in terms of employment, the need for quality education, you know. We need, a, you know, to scrap this budget altogether and, you know, have a budget that prioritises needs of people and communities, but, you know, as opposed to, like, the 1%, because it's basically the, the gist of the budget is it basically lowers the corporate tax rate and cuts funding to higher education and essential community services such as mental health and homelessness services. Yeah, absolutely. Alrighty. We're going to talk to our first guest of the morning, which will be John Tully, talking to us about the Kibani School Project. All right, so you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. All right, um, so today on our, um, this morning on our program, we have John Tully, who is a founding member of Australians for Kurdistan in Melbourne, um, which is a solidarity um, group for, for the Kurdish struggle. John is also an honorary professor at Victoria University, and he'll be speaking at the, the Socialism for the 21st Century Conference that is happening from the May 13th to the May 15th. And he'll be, he's going to be on the program um, right now to talk about the crowdfunding project for Kobani's, um, for a school in Kobani. Hello, John. Uh, good morning, Jacob. All right, so I want to um, sort of ask you, what, what is that? Can you tell us what this sort of school, um, this project, um, crowdfunding project is about and sort of, you know, what is the context, you know, for this project being undertaken? Uh, yes, well, uh, I don't know how much listeners know about Kobani. It's a city um, in northern Syria on the border with um, Turkey. It's predominantly a Kurdish city in a predominantly Kurdish area. Um, and it was besieged the the year before last and last year by ISIS and the defenders put up a tremendous struggle. I mean, it was a really heroic struggle um, against overwhelming odds. They, they faced an enemy who had artillery and tanks and they were basically, the uh, Kurdish fighters, men and women, were 
predominantly armed only with small arms, with um, you know rifles and such like. Um, they saw off the invaders. Um, it was the first time that ISIS actually had been stopped in its tracks. Um, they really had their backs to the wall because listeners probably know about what ISIS does. They're genocidal thugs. But um, despite the, the, the heroic struggle, of course, the city was totally uh, razed to the ground. It's, it's um, smashed to pieces. And so there is an international rebuilding effort um, by an agency in Rojava, that area of Syria, and one of the projects uh, internationally is to build a school for war orphans because, um, as readers will probably know, that um, children are among, or usually they're, they're the worst affected. So there's so many orphans, and the idea is to build a residential school for, those, for, for some of those kids in Kobani. And so, what what um what is sort of like the um you know the budget for this um school and you know what is sort of, what is the sort of target we're hoping to reach for this project? Uh, I'm not sure what the international target is, but um, in Australia, Australian Kurdish organisations and support organisations between us, um, the target is four hundred thousand dollars. And so, what kind of um in how how what kind of sort of broad kind of support have we gotten for in terms of like this project have we gotten so far? Well, the Kurdish um, people um, are used to raising money, and I heard that um, you know they were putting um, fistloads, fistfuls of money uh, through the door of Kurdish association halls and such like. Um, I'm not sure how much we've raised. Um, I'll have to speak with the with the Kurdish comrades about that. Um, so I can't I can't give any sort of figure about how much has been raised so far. And um, what what is um, in terms of like you know solidarity kind of what is sort of like um, what is sort of the broad kind of aims with this pro project in terms of supporting the Kurdish sol um, struggle in, um, in solidarity? Well, I mean, there's two there's two levels to it really. Um, one is that um, uh, Kobani desperately needs people's help, um, and the other level, of course, is that by by this project we we can. Um, uh, you know, ad advance the Kurdish cause um, much more and bring it to people's consciousness in Australia. So we have a public meeting which is lined up for the 2nd of June at the Trades Hall and that will be chaired by Colin Long from the National Tertiary Education Union and we hope to have speakers from the Education Union and, of course, the Kurdish Association itself, um, Australians for Kurdistan, and so on. We also hope to um, be able to speak with um, Horsian Aziz by video link from um, Rojava in Syria. She's the head of the reconstruction agency. Yeah, fantastic. Horsian used to be uh, a teacher at Newcastle University. Yes, yeah, she was. A, she was a lecturer in politics there, so she um, knows Australia well. Um, she is actually speaking at the by video link at the Socialist Alliance conference. And so we hope that we can do that for people in Melbourne at the uh, public meeting on June the second. Yeah, nice. Um, what, um, besides uh, the um, the sort of, um, current sort of crowdfunding um, um, project for the Kabani School, what um, what can you, do you know any sort of anything more? Because you mentioned that um, what's her name? Um, what's I forgot. Didn't remember what was her name again. Hojin um, was part of the Kobani sort of reconstruction project, and sort of what, what else can you sort of tell us about um, that? 
Um, I well, the, the, the Turkish and, and Kurdish building workers from Turkey or from the um, Turkish parts of Kurdistan, I should say, have been coming over the border um, to help rebuild Rojava and other uh, cities that have been and villages that have been destroyed. But there's a very big problem there because of the attitude of the Turkish government um, towards the Kurdish people as a whole mm. and towards the um, Kurdish people in, in Syria in particular. So they actually have been blocking the supplies of um, steel and concrete and bricks and so forth over the border. And this ties in, of course, with the whole um, appalling um, behaviour of the, of the Erdogan government in Turkey um, towards the Kurds um, in Turkey and, and over the border. Um, that, that is attacking Kurdish um, military units, units in Syria and, of course, in, in southeastern Turkey and, or northern Kurdistan, as the Kurds prefer to call it. Of course, there are 24-hour curfews. The security forces have been um, shooting down unarmed civilians. Hundreds of people have been killed. Um, we've also seen uh, something like 1,200 Turkish and Kurdish academics have been charged with um, uh, aiding terrorism for calling for um, peace in, 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 in Kurdistan. Um, so that's a very big problem. And that's one of the things that we actually want to highlight is the, the, the attitude of the, of the Turkish government and also the, the tail ending of the, of the the Turkish government, which is rapidly descending into dictatorship, the tail ending of that by, by the outside world, um, um, that, that's, a, that's a real problem. But I, I, I should say too, though, that um, as a result of one sort of glimmer of hope in the, in the whole horror that's um, been the Middle East up to now, that people now, more and more people actually are aware that the Kurds exist, that um, they have a long history, that they're the the world's largest stateless nation, and so on, and also that they need our help. They need, they deserve our assistance because they actually have been in the front line of um, fighting for humanity against the ISIS barbarians. Yeah, and it's a pretty uh, inspiring example of, of resistance and, and kind of revolutionary struggle for the whole region, I reckon. Uh, we had Rob Starry on a couple of months ago, and he was talking about the um, Australians for Kurdistan petition to get the PKK delisted from the Australian government's list of prescribed terrorist organisations. Um, that would that's that would be kind of linked with this fundraising, wouldn't it? Isn't it? Isn't that a bit of a challenge to the Australian government's listing that that you would do this fundraising or? What's the kind of... Yes, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I read yesterday in The Guardian that um, Peter Dutton, the Minister for Immigration, and George Brandis, the Attorney-General, are moving to um, revoke the citizenship of people who are members of terrorist organisations, that's Australian citizens, and also, which is, which is really uh, frightening, is that... Um, they don't actually have, have, have done anything, but they are, if they've been assisting terrorist organisations. Now, the, 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 as, as far as I know, the, the only organisations on, on that terror list are the Islamist groups, such as um, Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda, Al-Nusra, and of course ISIS. But the PKK is also on that list, the Kurdistan Workers' Party, um, which is totally absurd because the 
the PKK never in the past and certainly at the present never at any time has been a threat to this country. The only thing they have been a threat to is the Turkish state. Mm. Um, so, so yes, it is an important thing because it's, it's a colossal injustice to that organisation. Um, uh, people would know about the Yazidi people who last year were trapped on Mount Sinjar in, in uh, Iraq. Mm. Um, the Yazidis are predominantly Kurdish themselves, but they were facing um, genocide. Um, at the hands of ISIS, because ISIS regards them as devil worshippers. It's a, a very ancient religion. Um, those people were, were saved by the PKK and the YPG fighters and YPJ fighters from, from Rojava, um, who actually carried some of the, 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 the less um, fit people and older people. They carried them off the mountain on their backs. Um, that's the sort of, of, of things that the PKK and its allies have been doing so it's a complete and utter injustice and the the as rob starry probably told your 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 listeners um the the sort of reasons which are put up by the um by asio it to put the pkk on that terror list just don't don't add up at all they don't stack up mm. all right so um <clears throat> Maybe we're, we're probably getting close to be, um, to wrapping this up now. But um, John Tully, do you sort of have like any um, sort of concluding statements about how you know we, um, the listeners of this program and we um, um, how we can support this um, the broader sort of Kurdish campaign, Australia's for Kurdistan, and you know the Kobani you know school project? Well, uh, it's, well, we 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 do welcome people getting involved in the um, Australians for Kurdistan. The support committee. Um, I, if uh, I think you've got my email, and you could let people know if they contact me, then I can help them along that way too. And also, as far as if they just want to donate money, um, um, there is a bank account. I don't have the details with me very cleverly, but again, um, if people email me, I can give them those details. Um, do, do you want my email address um, now? Oh, um, if you're if you're happy giving it out publicly on air. Yeah, I, I don't mind. I, I yeah. don't mind at all. Um, yes, it's um, John J O H N dot Tully T U at V U dot E D U dot A U, and I can give the details of um, how people could contribute um, to to the the fund. But the public meeting, I, sh- I should stress, um, all people are welcome to attend. Um, that's on the 2nd of, of June, at this stage, almost certainly at the Trades Hall um, at 6.30pm. All right. Uh, Fantastic. That would be, a, that would be a, a terrific way of showing support for the Kurds as a whole and for the school project in particular. Yeah, good to see. It's, uh, yeah, it's a good initiative that uh, people can get behind as a, as a practical um, yeah, solidarity project. Yes, that's right. All right. Well, uh, thanks heaps, John. And, well, um, my pleasure. Thank yeah. you, Zane and Jacob. Yeah, it was great having you on the program. All right. Okay. Catch you okay. soon. Thank you. Bye. Uh, yes, John Tully there. And you can check out Australians for Kurdistan. If you just Google that, Australians for Kurdistan, or look it up on Facebook, you'll be able to find more information. Green Left Radio. All right, and it's important, I think, we've got to get in the habit of doing this. 
we are, of course, broadcasting live from 3CR Studios, which exist on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. This land was forcibly stolen. Sovereignty was never ceded. Uh, this always was and always will be Aboriginal land, and we pay our respects to elders past, present and future. Yeah. All right. Going back to sort of more um, sort of local news, many Koi who've been following the news lately probably have heard about the sort of tragic suicide of a second refugee who self-immolated in, in the detention centre of uh, Nauru just days after 23-year-old Iranian refugee Ahmed died in similar circumstances. Hondan, a 21-year-old million woman, was, has been taken to air, um, Brisbane by air, um, ambulance, but she has suffered burns to more than 70% of her body and her condition remains um, critical. Witnesses told, you know, Refugee Action Coalition that all her clothes have been burned off. Others said she had suffered burns to her upper body and face at least as bad as Ahmed. Hondon was one of the three refugees snatched by border force at 3am from the Brisbane Immigration Transit Accommodation Centre on April 27th. She was carried bodily out of the detention centre by border force officers screaming to be allowed to stay. She had been brought to Australia for medical treatment in November last year after she suffered a serious head injury in a motorcycle accident on Nauru. People um, who knew her did not believe she had recovered from the injury. In sort of like, you know, response to this, um, um, RAC spokesperson uh, Ian um, to said this this is another self-harm attempt, but that is Pia Dunton's responsibility. A vulnerable young woman who needed protection was a victim of a spiteful removal. She's been sent to the toxic environment that a minister has created on Nauru. Tragically, this was entirely predictable. You know, this Australian government policy supported by the Labor Party is that asylum seekers are sent to two offshore processing facilities on Manus Island in or Nauru. Opting for processing practice, this means indefinite detention as there's only been three resettlements in Cambodia and five in Papua New Guinea. Nauru doesn't offer resettlement out of more than 22,000 people in detention. What's really sort of appalling is, you know, the immigration minister's Peter Dunton's only comment has been to basically to criticise advocates and others who are saying, who he says are pressuring refugees to behave in a certain way and providing false hope to those held in offshore detention. Um, there, have, there was a vigil held last night in support of um, Hondan. Personally, though, I didn't go to it, so I can't get, go, uh, have anything more to other than that. So he's saying... Mm. No. What, what can be said? How long does this have to go on with people self-immolating and burning themselves and being mm. sent to insanity by these mental illness factories, these mm. concentration camps? Well, yeah, and, and sort of many have probably heard that um, Manus Island has uh, was declared illegal by the um, by the Papua New Guinea government. What has sort of happened, developed, and transpired since then um, has been that all the refugees who are um, who are held on Manus Island have actually sued the government for compensation. Um, nothing much has come over, but that we do know that is happening. And there is going to be uh, another sort of, oh, sorry, I might as well plug this in, there's going to be another, on World Refugee Day, which would be um, on June 18th, there'll be another major refugee protest against these, against these appalling mandatory detention policies. And we're encouraging all our listeners to, um, to make your voice heard and to stand up against, to shut down, um, to call for the government to shut down um, Manus, shut down Nauru, and to bring, down, bring any refugee who is held on those detention centres to be brought here. Mm. 
Yeah. And where is that protest? Is that uh, uh, it's going to be at 1 p.m. at the State, State Library. Library. Yeah, yep. sweet. Um, so in terms of other um, sad kind of news that's um, happened recently, um, mm. there was a death of um, of a Greens MP, John Kay, who um, unfortunately um, he passed away from cancer. Um, John was a very proud member of the NTU, um, having joined as a lecturer at um, University of New South Wales. Um, he was determined to remain, you know, while um, uh, NTU member and supporter while in state government. Ca- um, um, he was known as like a great fighter for the environment, for public education, and for social justice. Um, with his engineering background, he had detailed knowledge of environmental issues and was a regular attendee at demonstrations for the environment and anti-nuclear process. Um, one of his sort of concerns was for public schooling and the need for adequate funding for the education of future generations meant he was a constant advocate for public schooling and higher education issues. Um, one of his sort of recent sort of camp, one of the recent things in his recent years, he had a pat, he, he had a very staunch and passionate support for TAFE. In the you know the face of you know Shonk, um Shuki sort of private providers with Bentless, you know he backed this sort of passion with detailed research and could always see the threat to all higher education represented by withdrawal of government funding and the entry of profit-making enterprises. Um, John, you know, was a great man, a lovely friend, and someone um, we will miss or do our thoughts with a family who have always been supportive of his work and now no longer have the privilege of enjoying some time from him. Hmm. Yeah, it's really sad. And John was, um, yeah, he was one of those people who uh, maintains strong links to the grassroots and, and was a voice for social movements and used his position in Parliament to support grassroots movements and, and trade unions and that steel industry projection bill that he helped put together. That's the sort of initiative that he's used his parliamentary position to help develop. Yeah, John. John was a yeah a regular guest at uh, protests up in Newcastle, where I'm originally from, and yeah, he would always speak really well and and was really supportive of campaigns there. So yeah, it's really sad. Yeah, going to sort of um the um back going to that sort of thing of the environment. Um, Ian Angus, um, who is a Canadian sort of eco-socialist who is um, currently touring um, Australia right now, um, pretty much everywhere except Melbourne, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but he will be speaking at the Socialism for the 21st Century Conference um, in May 13th to May 15th. Next weekend in yeah, Sydney. Yeah, next weekend in Sydney. Yep. Um, he actually had a, a forum actually in Perth and um, over 15... 50 people attended. Um, attended. Um, he his talk. He his talk was around on the climate war and the billionaire class. It was very well received, and you know was followed by a lively discussion, which you know addressed issues including the Paris Climate Accords, the methods of winning support of workers in extractive industry, industries, and strategies for social change. Um, he will be touring um, Adelaide, Hobart, Brisbane, Cairns, uh, and Parramatta, and Newcastle. And also we'll be speaking at the conference in um, two sessions, um, a, a book launch that will be at, on the Friday of the conference at 6.30 for his um, newest book, Facing the um, Atropocene, Fossil Capitalism and the Crisis of the Earth System. And he'll be also part of a panel discussion on the Saturday of the conference after Paris building the movement for climate justice. Yeah, deadly. And um, yeah, Ian runs the blog Climate and Capitalism and has been quite active in the... 
um, campaign in his home country of Canada against the tar sands. And I've just heard this morning on the news, it's massive fires in one of those uh, oil-producing areas of Canada, and they've had to evacuate a whole city of 88,000 people. And it's back in 2007, there was really big storm and, and floods up in Newcastle, and that Pasha Bolka, that big coal freighter, famously got washed up on Newcastle Beach. Ah, yeah. And I think it's... Uh, yeah, it's really interesting when you get these severe weather events right in these fossil fuel producing heartlands. So hopefully some people are kind of looking at these massive fires in these oil producing parts of Canada and putting two and two together and going, hmm. Well, actually, before we go on to our next um, interview, actually, there's one sort of new study, um, story since we're talking about sort of international issues. The Bernie Saw Sanders campaign is actually still going, um, you know, despite the corporate press, um, you know, being insistent to sort of repress it as sort of much as possible. In sort of exciting news, um, on self-described socialist Bernie Sanders um, won the Democrat at India um, primary on May 3rd, besting um, his rival Hillary Clinton and notching a much-needed victory as the corporate media and political class continues to discount his chances and downplay the accomplishments of his campaign. You know, the Guardian actually described this as a shock victory, you know, and he he seemed um, in the, sort of an email um, Bernie Sanders sent to his supporters just before 10pm. Sanders said the victory in India helped prove his recent argu- argument that every road in the country deserves to be heard this primary season. And despite, you know, he's had some recent losses, especially the kind of terrible loss he had in the New York primary, um, he says he intends to take his campaign through to California. I'm on the very last primaries of the season as well as the most populous and delegate-rich state in the country. That's probably more than can be said for Ted Cruz, who has actually just dropped out of the sort of Republican race for presidency, and that basically leaves Donald Trump as the winner for the primary because he's pretty much the only candidate running, which is kind of like a scary... <laughs> which is kind of scary stuff because it basically has the chance that um, Donald Trump might win presidency. Sweet. Ah. The 3CR News Delivery Service has just arrived and we've got ourselves a copy of The Age to pick apart. Um, mm, the Donald scary stuff. Well, hopefully Bernie Sanders can pick up uh, a whole bunch more delegates in the last... Yes string of um, primaries. Well, actually, in- interesting news is um, one of the reasons why um, Hillary Clinton is actually leading over Bernie Sanders is the existence of superdelegates, which are basically some, they're, they're, they're delegates that are sort of like usually Democrat um, senators who can basically decide who they vote for and then that um, that kind of like decides the final result of who becomes the primary for the Democrat, um, the Democrats in the nomination process. But actually, um, I just read an article this morning on the way here that there's actually a call by some of the um, members of the Democrats to actually drop the system entirely to get rid of separate superdelegates, which mm. if this is actually potentially huge news um, because if they succeed in their campaign, though for me, myself personally, I'm sceptical whether they could theoretically get rid of it, but if then Fury, if they did get rid of it, it would actually increase Sanders' chances significantly of um, winning the, the primary vote, um, which would be very exciting news if um, that would were to happen. Yeah, I think even without those superdelegates, though, he's, uh, he's, he's got a bit of work to do if he's going to pull in front. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, 
Never say never. Well, how are we going for time? We're going to get uh, Tony Gleason on the line pretty soon. Yep. Yeah, sweet. Um, people may be aware that there's a big protest happening up in Newcastle this weekend at the world's biggest coal port, and that is part of a global week of action to break free of fossil fuels. That's being promoted by 350.org and a bunch of other climate and fossil fuel campaigning groups. So we'll be talking to Tony soon. Tony used to live on the mid-north coast of New South Wales, but these days he's uh, out in Geelong. Uh, but he's going to be making the pilgrimage back up to Newcastle. And it looks like there's going to be several hundred people I reckon they'll be nudging a thousand people, hopefully, which will be great. Uh, there's a day of like a crash training camp on Saturday about non-violent direct action. From what I understand, your legal uh, rights and obligations and so on. And then Sunday's the big day, the big protest, where people are going to block blockade the world's biggest coal port. And uh, that's got some precedent. There's this uh, sort of anarchist climate campaign group based in Newcastle. I think they technically still exist, maybe, but pretty quiet these days. But in their heyday, Rising Tide would um, hold non-violent direct protests, stopping coal trains and um, kind of going into coal coal mines and coal-fired power stations and stopping production and uh, one of their members, Pete Gray, who sadly passed away um, a couple of years back from cancer at a, at a young age, way too early, I think he was only 31, Pete Gray was famously threw his boots at John Howard on Q&A that time, he came up with this idea that fused non-violent direct action with mass action and I think it was a really clever concept where people get out on surfboards and kayaks and with their life jackets and stuff and block the coal port a very simple but a very clever idea and it's the sort of thing where you don't necessarily have to get arrested and you don't have to break into a coal train line and lock yourself onto something but it is nonetheless it's both. It's something that everyone can do, but it's also a non-violent direct action that, that kind of halts production and blocks the port up. So, yeah, it's really good to see that back after several years without a blockade. Alrighty. Now, this morning, we have on the line Tony Gleason out in Geelong. And Tony is a grassroots climate activist of many years who I've known through the through the, the grapevine of, of activism. And Tony's going to be heading up to the Break Free from Fossil Fuels blockade of Newcastle Coalports happening this weekend. Welcome, Tony. Hey, Zane. How are you going? Pretty good. Yeah, it's good to hear. Yeah, good to hear that uh, 3CR is 40 years old as yeah. well, doing the, good, doing the good stuff, fighting the good fight for 40 years. Congrats for being part of that. Yeah, keeping it staunch. And you're, uh, you do a bit of community radio out your way, don't you, out in Geelong? Yes, yes, at, at The Pulse. Um, we do, myself and um, Mick Oak, who's a, a guy who's um, 
spin marks lost three or four years ago was very much Geelong's game. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, if the Sustainable Hour is the name of our show, very original. And, uh, yeah, we, we try and focus on the solutions rather than the problems once a week. And, yeah, having a lot of fun doing it and, and learning a lot as well. Yeah, as I'm right. sure you are. As I'm sure you are doing that. Yeah. Oh, well. We'll have to uh, get you in here to TCR at some point and uh, show you around the studio here. We could have a... Yeah, no, real easy. Real easy to do, to do that one. Yeah. Yeah, so we're all... The, the uh, troops are sort of uh, getting all their gear together and uh, getting ready to head up to, to Newcastle, as you said before. Exciting weekend coming up where uh, I think people are making drawing that line in the sand again. Uh, and, um, yeah, just a bit of the old time, uh, true non-violent direct action, civil disobedience, just saying that, yeah, what's happening is wrong and we need to, to make it right. So, yep, that's why I'm going up there. Yeah, wicked. And have you been to one of the blockades of the harbour before? Yeah, yeah, I've been to a couple. I used to live up on the north coast in, in New South Wales. And you're talk, referring to, to Pete Gray before. He, he's probably the one that's had the most influence on me. He was a amazing man. And, yeah, and as you said uh, a few minutes ago, just way too um, – he left us way too young. Mm. But he's he's inspired hundreds, I'd say, maybe thousands of people, but that um, the importance of standing up and not just being concerned quietly – um, yeah, great man, Pete. Yeah, I remember at um, Pete's funeral up on the Christchurch Cathedral up on the hill in Newcastle, and um, Holly Cronorn played House of the Rising Sun by the Animals. Yeah. And um, there was not a dry eye in the house, and I can't no. hear that song anymore without getting a bit teary about it. Yeah, yeah, no, I can hear it, hear it in your voice now. No, he's a great man, and just... Just so determined, um, and like, cause he knew he was right, and, and that you can't spend, you couldn't spend time with Pete at all and not, uh, just feed off his passion. Mm. And, uh, that's certainly, that's, he certainly had a major influence on my life. Uh, a country boy grew up in, um, Western Victoria in, in a Democratic Labour Party stronghold, um, and with a great fear of communism and reds under the beds and all that, and, thinking that the government would save us. And I kind of, I guess around about that time, I realised that um, that wasn't going to happen. The cavalry wasn't going to ride up, so it was the people that had to do the, the same as it, it has been right through history. Hmm. And so, do you know, have you heard through the grapevine of, of other people attending? Like, I know the RSVP list for the protest is pretty, uh, looking pretty good. Yeah, it's in the hundreds. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, we're... And they're like mainly from from the east east uh, eastern seaboard, I guess, of Australia. And but um, I I wouldn't be surprised if there's others that come in from uh, from South Australia and and places further afield. But yeah, there's I think it's kind of a, people are just saying that this is uh, well, it's not the last stand, but it's the start of the last stand. Mm. And hopefully there'll be many more until the people wake up. And speaking of the last stand, um, Ash Grunwald is going to be there. Yeah, yes, and, that's significant. Uh, Natalie Rise from Blue King Brown, bit of bit of star power to help bring in the punters. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's not going to be a weekend of doom and gloom by any means. All every one of these gatherings that that I've been at, been at a few now, and um, 
many of them with you. Um, but, yeah, far from it. It's, it's just a feeling of determination, of great spirit and camaraderie and, and joy to be to be part of something special. Mm. You know, not, not yeah, just just knowing that, that what the world that's being thrown at us at the moment is there's so much wrong with it. Um, and, and people can, uh, the only thing that'll change that is numbers of people. Hmm. And uh, what did you think of the, have you had a chance to look at the budget that's just come out? And uh... Well, the first one, not I haven't looked at it in detail, but, but climate change um, wasn't mentioned at all in the, the, the coalition's budget. Um, but the, the Labor Party last night, apparently I saw it on Facebook this morning, uh, it was mentioned half a dozen times about the importance of making those changes. Now, the changes they've got in mind are nowhere near the, what the science is demanding of us, hmm. but it's a start. It's a start. So it's, it's given people uh, a real difference for, for the first time in a long time, I guess, to, um, between, the, between the major parties in, in terms of um, any, any kind of policy. They've always been so... There's Tweedledum and Tweedledee, hmm. but it's, it's, it's given people very much... It's very much differentiated the two parties, which is good to see. Hmm. And, um, yeah, what do you think... I'd be keen to hear your thoughts because it's not really common in, certainly not in the Labor Party and not very common in Greens policy, but uh, direct government investment in renewables. And oh, it's critical. It's mm. critical to it. It just gives that, the industry that confidence. Like it's happening all, all worldwide, it's happening already um, in the more enlightened countries. Uh, it's happening in Australia with a very unenlightened Country, uh, uh, elected, lead, elected representatives uh, in, in Parliament. Victoria looks promising, but they can't. They, for some reason, they keep delaying their policies, and I don't know for the life of me, I don't know why when we're facing an emergency. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I think that they're just scared to, yeah, to show leadership really, and do what the science is demanding. That's that's all they've got to do, and just say, follow us. We, we it may not be popular. Um, but yeah, we know that this is what, the way we've got to go. That's what, and I keep going back to you just, just use the science to, to justify the, the emergency action. Hmm. Yeah, it's got to be done. Um... Yeah, well, it has to, it has to be. There's a, there's a, a petition doing the rounds at the moment, uh, well, a series of petitions called the, the petition storm, uh, and it's, it's encouraging, you know, like in, I think it was November last year, there was around about 130,000 people marched out of their concerns for, uh, for lack of rural action and climate change. And if anything, since then, that's, that concern should have got worse. So they're the sort of numbers we should be able to marshal to, to get onto this petition. And it's, it calls on the government to declare a state of emergency, uh, which is a, a very long way from where we are at the moment. But hopefully that's going to, uh, yeah, just just force change if, if enough people get on and sign that. So it'll be interesting. We, we're certainly living through interesting time zone, and it'll be interesting to see how that how that all pans out in the lead up to the election. Yeah, I think Australia being the driest populated continent, and also the world's biggest coal exporter, there's a bit of a dialectic happening there. 
Yes. We're the canary yes. in the coal mine, and we're also the coal mine. Yes. No, very much so. We, we've, there's a lot of so much potential, and it's, it's not as if we're the rest of uh, the natural, re- well, the the uh, alternative energy sources that we need. Like there's plenty of. I'm standing here at the moment, just about just about getting blown away, and the sun's shining as well. So. It's, yeah, we've got all that. We've got all we need except the political will at the moment, and, and that's changing. So, which mm. is, but whether it's changing fast enough is, is the big question. Yeah, I, I can foresee in the future this, these sort of blockades of the coal port or similar kind of fusions of non-violent direct action with mass public protest. I, I could see like 10,000 people occupying Newcastle Harbour for... 48 yeah. or 72 hours, like a big sort yeah. of Tahrir Square style mobilisation that's half in the in the harbour. So that's what we're going to need. That's that's exactly what we're going to need. Yeah. And um, the time to sign on to that sort of action is uh, kind of ra- rapidly running out. Yeah. You know, we've got on our show a couple of uh, weeks ago. We had a lady, um, Ursula Rogova, from you might have seen her. She was in Melbourne about the same time. She's from from the Carteret Islands. Yeah, and she's right. had this. She's had this gig for, I think, about eight years now to work with Bougainville Island to relocate uh, the six thousand people from her from her atoll or group of atolls mm. to Bougainville Island. That's not all that far from Australia. And I know there's there's island, island sorry, islands in in the the Tiwi Islands that area between Australia and uh, PNG. They're, they're um, People are going to have to relocate from there, so it's happening. There's no denying it. Um, yeah, so whether we've just got to decide, I guess, whether it's fair for that to happen to these people. They haven't. They've con- contributed so little, if anything, to the um, you know to the causes of to, to of fossil using fossil fuels, which has led to uh, directly led to their the sea level drowning them, drowning their country, which which they've lived in for. Millennium. Hmm. So it's just not like whichever way you look at it, it's just not fair. It's just not right. It's God damn it! It's un-Australian zone. <laughs> you know, to allow that to continue. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a huge responsibility on on Australia, such a big polluter and a wealthy country, to really take yeah. radical action to yeah get get off the coal and shift to 100% renewables asap. Yeah. And yeah. there's nothing, there's nothing new about this. It's been, you know, like you, common you knowledge the, for decades. Yeah, yes, and they've the same with the, it's the same uh, tactics that the cigarette companies use and their PR companies and the same PR companies that trotting out the same old lies and and you know giving people the impression, the ordinary part of the impression that there's still a debate going on. Mm. And, and you know those guys are just as bad as any war criminal that I've um, that I read of. In terms of you know they've deliberately done that. It's really it's pure psychopathic action behaviour. So mm. you know they'll get their day. Those guys. All right. Well, we better wrap it up. But uh, yes, have a safe travel up there, and we'll be yep. posting a bunch of photos and images from the blockade of Newcastle Port on Sunday. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's an import, important day coming up tomorrow, which is about, all about bonding and training and um, yeah, just getting people ready for, for Sunday. So, yeah, looking forward to the weekend very much. Yeah. All and right. happy, to, happy, happy to do a, 
chat to you next week too if that's um, if you think that would be useful. All right. Oh, yeah. See so how we go. We might get a bit of a follow-up report back. Yeah, okay. exactly. Right. Good on you, Zane. Keep, right. keep doing the great work, mate. Yeah, you yeah. too, brother. More strength to your arm. Okay. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for that. Right. Catch you soon. See ya. Yes, Tony Gleeson there, heading up to the People's Blockade, the um, break free from fossil fuels event that's happening in Newcastle, the world's biggest coal port this weekend. And, well, it's that time of Friday morning, the activist calendar. Hi. So, yeah, in terms of, like, um, upcoming events, um, this Tuesday, um, this Tuesday on May 10th, there will be a protest to support um, Jasmine Pilbo um, to um, in her court appearance. Um, to explain the context um, for this, um, on February the 2nd last year, she calmly and peacefully refused to take a seat on a Qantas flight in an effort to prevent the forced removal of a vulnerable asylum seeker of Australia to Sri Lanka. Um, now, more than a year later, she has been charged with interference with a crew member of an aircraft under the Civil Aviation Act. Aviation. Aviation Act. Um, she faces a maximum $10,000 or $10,500 fine or two years imprisonment. Ten and grand for not sitting down. Yeah. It's steep. <laughs> and, yeah, so you can support Jasmine at her court appearance um, to show solidarity and, you know, as a greater sort of demonstration against, you know, the government's appalling um, um, policies on signings at 8.30am in Broadmeadows Magistrates Court, which is in um, um, Dubola Road and um, Perthdale Parade, Broadmeadows. Also happening on that Tuesday, um, John Tully was speaking before and he'll be actually speaking at a campus forum at Victoria University on racism, what it is and how to fight it. It'll be in Rube D531 at the Victoria University Footscray Park. And this is an event organised by the Victorian University Social Alliance Campus Club. Hi. Right. Very nice. Um, also, do you know uh, what's the latest with the Bendigo Street occupation? That's still um, strong? The Bendigo Street occupation is um, still ongoing and um, they act, uh, it... As far as I know, they've actually um, they had an event last night, a sort of public kind of meeting on anarchism. That'll be uh, that was at um, just an anarchism one on one kind of workshop. Okay. Um, that was um, that happened yesterday at the at um, I think it was at because um, actually right now they're actually there's actually from my understanding there's sort of two houses or three houses that are sort of occupied right now, um, and that. Um, um, that is at um, the their public event was actually at um, 18 Bendigo Street. Um, the the main sort of house that is the centre of this struggle is to Bendigo Street, and it's still ongoing. The occupation is still ongoing, and it still needs solidarity and support um, to you know to make to make its um, to achieve its and uh, to win its demands. Yeah, sweet. So yeah, get down there to Bendigo Street if you can, and uh, pop in and say hello. Occupying houses that are needlessly being kept empty by the state government. Alrighty, uh, theatre, Tales of a City by the Sea, a unique and poetic journey exploring the lives of ordinary people facing extraordinary challenges in the besieged and war-torn Gaza Strip. Jamana, a woman from the Shati refugee camp, falls in love with Rami, an American-Palestinian doctor on a humanitarian mission. Can their love transcend closed borders, falling bombs, and high prison walls? Written by Sama Sabawi. Uh, that's at the La Mama Theatre on Wednesday, the 11th of May, 
uh, 6pm and goes to Wednesday the 18th of May. Uh, so that theatre is at 349 Drummond Street, Carlman, uh, Carlton, sorry, the La Mama Theatre. Uh, the conference, Socialism for the 21st Century, that's happening in Sydney next weekend. Uh, it's a three-day international conference on eco-socialism, applying Marx today, and movements and people power. Feature speakers include Marta Harnika, Michael Leibovitz, Ian Angus, Sam Watson, Rob Pine, the Queensland MP who recently resigned from the ALP and who we interviewed. He's a vocal critic of the Queensland Labor government approving the Carmichael mega mine. Um, so check that out. The website, including registration, transport and accommodation info, is at socialismforthe21stcentury.org and the 21 out of 21st century is numerals in that website. Public meeting, prospects for real social change in Latin America today. Prolific writers and activists Marta, uh, prolific writers and activists Marta Harnica and Michael Leibovitz, experts on politics and society in Latin America, will speak about the prospects for radical social change in the region. It's at 7pm, Metro West, uh, on Thursday the 19th of May at 138 Nicholson Street, Footscray. And that's organised by Community Identity Displacement Research Network, Vic Uni. Public meeting, an evening with Edward Snowden. Uh, appearing live via video link, the controversial conqueror of social justice will enlighten audiences on how he did what he did, and most importantly, why he did it. This is a rare opportunity to see one of the most revered free thinkers of the 21st century. That's 6pm, Sunday the 22nd of May, at the plenary Melbourne Convention Centre, one convention centre place in the city, and that's hosted by the Castan Centre for Human Rights Law. And just finally, Saturday the 28th of May at 11am, there is a rally. Moreland says no to racism. Stop the forced closure of Aboriginal communities. Treaty now. Let the refugees in. Close Manus and Nauru. No to Islamophobia. So that's Saturday the 28th of May, 11am. Gather outside Coburg Library, Victoria Street Mall and then march to Bridges Reserve, Bell Street, Coburg, for a community speak-out and entertainment. Bring your lunch and join with other Moreland residents in saying our community supports a diverse and inclusive Moreland, initiated by Sue Bolton, Moreland councillor, and, yeah, happy to report that that's been endorsed by a bunch of different groups and several trade unions. So, yeah, get along to that. Take a proactive stance against racism and Islamophobia in our community. Um, the bit of news from Turkey, actually. Um, yep. The uh, HDP chair, the co-chair, urges movement for peace. Co-chair of Turkey's left-wing Kurdish-led People's Democratic Party, or HDP, Selahattin Demirtas, has told the media and that the Turkish government had transformed into a perverted cult that bombs mosques and massacres civilians. Demirtas, or Demirtaj, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, 
made the comments on a visit to the to the vigil for jailed academics in Barkekoi Women's Closed Prison on April 26. Um, uh, Demirtas has told the media that the Turkish uh, yeah, government has transformed to a very cult. Um, yes. He also criticised the jailing of four academics who signed a peace petition which insisted we will not be a party to this crime in relation to the Turkish government's escalating war on Kurdish civilians and called on Turkish society to raise its voice for peace. Demirtas said, four academics are in jail for demanding peace. People who should be receiving peace prizes are in prison, whereas people such as some government officials who should be in jail are free. Demirtas noted that the freedom of speech and press were the prerequisites for all other freedoms and said the AKP, AKP government is attacking these two freedoms because it is afraid that its crimes, its support for ISIS and its massacre of civilians will be exposed. Demirtas also criticised mainstream media outlets for their biased coverage and censoring of his party's demands for peace. The co-chair of the HDP, which has 59 out of 550 seats in the Turkish parliament and whose surge in elections last year denied the ruling AKP its two-thirds, its desired two-thirds majority, also commented on recent developments regarding the lifting of parliamentary immunity. He said the other three major parties in parliament only unite when it comes to anti-Kurdish positions such as lifting the immunity of HDP parliamentarians. Demirtas also touched on the recent uh, rape scandal surrounding the Islamist education charity Ensar and its links to the AKP government, condemning President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's provocative statements targeting academics, students, journalists and other groups. Demirtas described the AKP leader's silence on exposed rapists as an attempt to protect and reward rapists for his political aims. Demirtas said the AKP had transformed into a perverted cult whose members failed to publicly criticise rapists in education institutions. Instead, they sought to hide their crimes by turning attention on the HDP um, yes, and apologies to um, anyone who has found that a bit um, triggering and unpleasant to hear about that sort of stuff at this time of the morning, but uh, that is Grand F Radio. We do try and bring you hard-hitting news in an unflinching manner. So, what's happening? Yep, okay. We're going to do our next... Uh, interview. We've got Owen Bennett, um, una momente. Yes, we've got Owen Bennett from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. Uh, the, he's the founder slash president of the Australian Unemployed Union. Uh, welcome, Owen. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. So, um, oh, so Owen, you, we heard, um, we know that you had a sort of um, conference on April the 19th, and this conference was titled um, "Solving Your Unemployment Crisis." Um, we'd like to sort of hear, like, you know, a report back from the conference and sort of, you know, 
what kind of direction has it set um, in terms of campaigns for your union? Well, it was a very successful conference. Um, we got some really good speakers to come, like uh, which surprised us a little bit. That um, you know, Jed Carney, President Basie to you, um, Cassandra Goldie, CEO of ACOS, and Bill Mitchell, well known academic, uh, and others working in both the trade union and well for advocacy sectors came along and the whole idea was to sort of get these two groups in a room, the welfare sector and the trade union movement, to acknowledge firstly that there is an employment crisis, that there are 18 job seekers competing for every job vacancy currently and new start is completely insufficient, like a starvation rate and all these problems with the CSP and Centrelink and there's just, there's so many problems to, to, to really um, discuss and Acknowledging those problems first off was an important step, um, especially from the trade union movement, I thought, because they're, I think, a, a real key ally in this struggle. And to, throughout all the, all the speakers, all, all the speeches at the conference, um, there was a lot of common ground there, which is what we're, what we're really excited about. Um, and I, I think out of the whole thing, that the, I think there were two main issues that everyone really were on the same page with, which were abolishing work for the dole and increasing the new start um, entitlement, which is currently $380 per fortnight below the poverty line and hasn't been increased in real terms since 1994. Um, and this budget recently just has continued that for another year. So um, I think those are the two main things that come out of it. And it, it's been very positive because... Uh, um, the ACTU especially have been very um, active in in running a campaign against work for the doll um, in light of the tragic death of, of Josh Park Singh, who was a work for the doll participant up in Toowoomba. He actually died on the same day, died as a work for the doll site on the same day of that conference. So, you know, in, in a way, you know, having that conference that day was sort of a was really um, positive because the next day, you know, we reached out to the ACTU and they, they were shocked and by what happened and they have, have since done some really good work running a campaign against Work for the Doll. So that's exactly what we wanted from this conference was groups in this sector who are directly affected by these attacks against unemployed and low-income people to actually run campaigns, active campaigns against, you know, these, these punitive attacks. So it was a, a, a really big, big deal. I think it's the first time in in decades that the trade union movement and has, has, has actively campaigned on unemployed workers' issues. Mm. So we're, we're very happy about that, and we feel like it can re- it's just the beginning of a, of a coalition against these sorts of punitive attacks against unemployed workers. Yeah. You know, um, I wanted to sort of ask a question about that, you know, that tragic death. What were kind of like, you know, in terms of like work safety issues that um, associated with like, you know, the work for the Dole program that contributed to that? Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, well, there's, there, there's so many. I mean, basically, for listeners who, who don't really know the work of the Dole program, it's under, if you're under 30, you have to, you're forced, essentially, in order to receive your new start payment, you have to work for the Dole for 25 hours a week, and if you're over 30, you're forced to work for the Dole 15 hours a week. But mm. The big issue that we are trying to push at the moment is that although your job agency, which is a privately run employment agency, um, they often tell 
unemployed workers that they have to work for the dole, and if they don't, they'll, they'll get their payment cut. What we've actually found, we've studied all the guidelines and the Job Active Deed and all the all the sort of uh, the laws that govern this whole industry, and we've found that you actually have a right to refuse work for the dole. So you can say, no, I'm not going to work for the dole, I'm going to do a voluntary activity instead, which is something that, that's more in your interest. And the job agencies really um, reject that because they've got a financial incentive to push you into work for the dole. And that's, that's really where all these problems begin, is that you've got this sector that has this profit motive to push as many unemployed workers into these outcome payments as possible, ignoring all the issues surrounding that particular unemployed worker or the safety issues at, at the work for the dole site. So given the financial incentive they have, they don't really look into you know, whether that work for the dole site is appropriate or not. But the whole thing is outsourced to this this industry, which just wants to make as much money as possible. So if you think about the work for the dole sites, they, the government not only outsourced the these employment services to, to, job, to job agencies, they also outsource the safety checks to the job agencies. So if the work of the dog coordinator, they're the ones who go around and conduct these, what's called a risk assessment. And they, they have to, you know, look into all these, all these various things. And in, in the job active deed, you know, a lot of these, uh, it's quite thorough what they're meant to do. But unfortunately, when you, when you, when you introduce that profit motive, they don't conduct those checks thoroughly, and we've heard from actually work that our supervisors who have called us up, you know, completely appalled with the sort of uh, work that goes on by these work that coordinators who basically just rush through risk assessment just so they can get as many work for the Dell sites up and running as possible. So you have so many conflicts of interest going on there. The job agencies who just want to make money and place as many people as possible, the work for the Dell supervisors who just want to make as many sites going up as possible. But there's bound to be some problems with the safety at these sites, and that's what we've seen. We've, we've, we've had many calls and emails from people who are just saying they're, they're scared to go to their work for the doll site. There was one person who saw a snake at their work for the doll site, and when they were raised concerns about it, the person just said, oh, you know, too bad it's gone now. And, and, and this is a real problem where if you do raise a concern at your work for the doll site, you're often threatened with having your payment cut. And that's... Um, happens a lot and you know in this particular case with Josh Park thing um, we feel like you know it, it you know these um lack of safety concerns effectively led to his death mm. and we're, we're going to be we're going to be pursuing this very very aggressively over the next six months yeah so um, I'm sure you've all probably heard um there's actually a, a sort of New alternative put forward in the budget about um, alternative to this sort of work for the doll scheme, and as a result, now the work for the doll kind of um, it's going to be um, now required for um, for recipients on New Start for for 12 months instead of six months. You know, what what is your kind of like response to this sort of you know the, the union and your own kind of like perspective on this you know proposed youth jobs path program? Well, the first thing that strikes me about this youth jobs program where they're basically paying businesses to take on unemployed workers for free. Um, and all the unemployed worker gets for a 12-week internship with 25 hours a week is an extra 200 bucks a fortnight. So they're still living 100 or about $200 below the poverty line. Now, is that this, this program is actually going to kill jobs. It's not going to create new jobs because they're giving business free labor. So what's going to happen to 
firstly, the jobs that already exist. I mean, who, who's going to hire a, 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 a worker at a, at a good wage when they can get an unemployed worker for free? Yeah, plus a thousand dollar incentive payment. Yeah, exactly. So they're paying they're paying businesses a thousand dollars to take on unemployed workers for free. So it's not only is that going to really threaten jobs that already exist, but it's going to threaten jobs that you know, the opportunities that could exist in the future for unemployed people. So it's just a you know you wonder how they come up with this stuff, but um, it's it, it isn't just this sort of a bumbling policy where they're they don't know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. Mm. They're trying to undermine wages and conditions of workers by attacking unemployed workers. That's always been the name of the game. That's what work for the dollars about. They want to try and push unemployed workers into all kinds of cruel and unusual punishments so that the idea of being unemployed just scares the living daylights out of people. And that's what's going on with this as well. I mean, mm. Which scares people into taking really low-paid work, work that's under the minimum wage. The minimum wage itself is pretty rubbish anyway. Yeah, well, this, this is going to create a whole new minimum wage, new minimum wage of, of nothing. Oh, I mean, it's $3 it, an hour. <laughs> yeah, and it's, um, it's, it's a really great threat to you know, the whole working class movement. And you know, this goes back to what I was talking about before and how, how excited we are about this new sort of broad coalition of unemployed and employed workers that we're trying to form Within, with the trade union movement, and we feel like this is the perfect opportunity for us to unite together and fight this sort of attack. It's, it's quite clear that they're attacking workers through unemployed workers. That's what we've always been saying. We've been saying that for, a year, for, for years now, that they use unemployed workers as sort of a battering ram. To, you know, they just try and punish unemployed workers in order to punish employed workers. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's part of this... This big economic policy. So the more desperate, the more impoverished unemployed workers are, the more likely they are to accept any work at any conditions which brings wages and conditions down in the long run. And that's why you know, real wages are at, at historic low levels. Trading in membership is at historic low levels. You know, it's it's been a very successful um, policy that's been running for about 30 years. So this is just a continuation of that, and it, it really doesn't come as a surprise to me at all, but what I think is really important is that the trade union movement and unemployed workers unite together because this is such a clear attack, direct attack on unemployed workers and unemployed workers all at once. So occasionally it's been a hard sell for, for, our, for the unemployed workers union to convince people that, you know, work for the dole, for example, is an attack on trade unions and employed workers or new, the low rate of new starts an attack on unemployed workers by forcing unemployed workers to accept any work. But mm. this is so clear, it's so direct mm. how it's going to threaten jobs. It's mm. so clear and, and we've actually been really heartened with the response of trade unions and for example a couple of trade unions have already, have already been in contact with a couple of trade unions, um, the NUW, the NTU and um, ACTU as well about formulating a joint response to this and trying to get a campaign up and running and you know, we, we, we we feel this is the cutting edge of, um, of activism at the moment. Is you have to unite the whole working class. You can't just have sections fighting for their own little patch. And the unemployed workers generally, are, I think, are the key because, they, as I said before, they're, they're used as, as a lever to attack them and then the whole working class goes down with them. It's like a, like a stack of cards and we need to make sure that all these sections are, are, are protected and, and in, you know, 
have have that sort of have, have defenses in place, and that's what we're trying to build. And Owen, what would a um, what would a worker friendly welfare and uh, sort of employment policy? I'm, I'm a bit of an old school socialist myself. Where I support the demand of full employment. Um, how in a in a worker friendly society, you're unemployed. What does that look like? What is the welfare benefit, and what sort of options could the perhaps the public sector or the government provide for providing work, but which is actually properly waged? Right. Well, we've got a few demands on that. Um, firstly, our demand is that the government provide every unemployed person with a a living wage, you know, like enough that they increase all entitlement to the poverty line, at at least. And the poverty line currently, we go by the Henderson poverty line, is about $520 uh, a week. Mm. So that's that's basically we're asking for them to double the dole in order for it to be on the poverty line, which is a minimum. I mean, that's a minimum request. But um, that gives you an idea of how low the dole actually is. So that's the first step. That's just the short term to fix. You know, raise 800,000 people who are on the dole, raise them out of out of poverty. I mean, I don't think that's too much of a an ask. I think that's the, the sort of a basic uh, right of um, of unemployed workers to to not be forced to live in poverty by the by the government. The second request is that the government embark on wide ranging job creation programs. Pretty much the opposite of what they've done in this budget, which is just give business money and hope that they're going to employ people. That never works. That's what that's what they've been doing for the last, you know, since the late seventies, basically, with the rise of neoliberal economics. That's been the idea. You give money to business, hope they create jobs. Well, where's that gotten us? Currently in Australia, there's three million people who are looking for work, and for those three million people, there's about 155,000 job vacancies listed by the Department of Employment. 18 job seekers competing for every job vacancy. So there's a massive employment crisis in our country, and the government need to address it and address it fast. And this budget is actually making making it worse by effectively taking away jobs from the economy. So what our demand is, it's um, we agree with uh, the position of an economist called Bill Mitchell, who suggests that every unemployed worker should be offered a minimum wage paying job at their local council doing tasks that are socially necessary. And if you do that, if you offer every unemployed person a minimum wage paying full-time position at their local council doing these sort of important socially necessary tasks like environmental protection, like there's, there's so many things that you can just look around the street and see things that need to be done. I mean, it would be, it would be a very um, beneficial to society and also... The, the, the economic stimulus that that would provide by having 800,000 people with a minimum wage in their pocket spending it in the economy, that's going to create all sorts of new jobs in the private sector as well who then hire people from from the, from the uh, this, what's called the Job Guarantee Program at the local council. So it's a, it would be a massive boon for the entire economy. It would, it would change the, the state of Australia, essentially. It would, it would make it into a much more... Um, accepting and prosperous place and really build the, the, the trade union movement as well because all of a sudden they wouldn't be threatened by this uh, influx of, of desperate 
impoverished, unemployed workers who are willing to accept any job because they've, they've, they've got a guaranteed job at their local council. So we feel that's a really realistic and positive economic um, development that could be put in place in the medium term to really uh, address this unemployment crisis. Because that's the elephant in the room. Yep. We always try and maintain that. Just the, the government's systematic failure to create enough jobs to go around mm. is a systematic failure of our economy and has to be fixed. Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, um, we're running um, out of time now, but we're, I would like to really uh, thank you for that um, very informative interview, Owen, because that was fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, best of luck with the campaign, and yeah. it's uh, great that you got this positive vision too for the for the alternative. Yeah. All Thanks right. a lot. Keep it staunch. Uh, thank you. See ya. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper. Green Left Weekly provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to Green Left Weekly and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1800 634 For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. Thank you for listening. You are tuned to 3CR Community Radio 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au.